right. Good morning, church family. Great to see you guys and to celebrate with you guys this morning. Like Drake said during announcements, we're either celebrating our five-year anniversary or our five-and-a-half-year anniversary, depending on how you count, because five-and-a-half years ago, there were connection groups that were meeting all over the Twin Cities in community who were praying that a large group gathering would start in our city at some point. And the reason that we started connection groups, even before we started the large group gathering of our church, is basically twofold. One is a biblical reason. There's a really interesting verse really early on in the Bible in Genesis chapter 2. And what's interesting about the verse is this is before sin had entered the world, before there were any problems in the world. And Adam was the only person on earth, and he was walking with God in paradise. And God says to Adam, it is not good that man should be alone. Which this is a really interesting, just kind of basic conclusion about that verse. That's that there are needs that you have that not even God can meet. And that need, the fundamental need, is for human community. There's also kind of a sociological reason that we started connection groups. And that's that it's incredibly damaging to people to live in isolation from one another. And there's almost been like this worldwide sociological study that we've all been a part of related to the COVID-19 pandemic. And there's been tons of ink spilled kind of analyzing the consequences of people being isolated from one another. So let me read one of those conclusions for you from this article called Psychological Consequences of Social Isolation During COVID-19 Outbreak by two really smart ladies. All right, this is what they concluded. They said the most common psychological disorders emerging are anxiety and panic, obsessive compulsive symptoms, insomnia, digestive problems, as well as depressive symptoms and post-traumatic stress. These are not only a direct consequence of the pandemic, but are also largely driven by the effects of prolonged social isolation. That is, the objective lack of interactions with others. Saying one of the most damaging things about what we've been through on a worldwide scale is not just the effects of COVID-19, the disease, but of the way that it's isolated us from one another. And so it shouldn't be a surprise to us that God's plan from the beginning has not just been to reconnect us to him, but also to connect us to one another. And so what we're going to see in Acts chapter 2 this morning is that a living church is a connected family. And we're going to look at four different characteristics of this connected family. The first one is that this living church is a curious community. So look with me at Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 43 to start. It says, and they devoted themselves... To the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs 
were being done through the apostles. Okay, so what we see right away is that human community is built around a common curiosity. So in a worldly sense, we build community around our passions, interests, and hobbies. But in the early church, that common curiosity that people had was a hunger for the word of God. In fact, these people had a hunger for the word of God because they'd been saved by the word of God. Just before this passage in Acts chapter 2, verse 41, we're at the end of Peter's famous sermon. And this is how he closes it out. He says, Luke closes it out by saying, So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. So a saved person is a person who has received the word of God, but it's not that when we're saved we leave the word of God behind, but we devote ourselves to the word of God. So these people early on in the early church were together, and the thing that they first and foremost had in common was a hunger for the word of God. They loved the word of God. They devoted themselves to it, not just by studying it, but by seeking to submit to it and then to live it out together. And so from the beginning at Salt City, we have wanted our Connection Group's ministry to be built around this model, this biblical model. And what that means is we devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching by hearing the word of God taught on Sunday morning, believing it, receiving it, and submitting to it, And then getting together in connection groups to discuss the sermon, yes, but what we're really discussing is the word of God. And what we're seeking to do in those connection groups is to submit to the word of God and to apply the word of God to our lives. And so here's what we don't believe about connection groups. We don't believe that the Bible is sort of one voice in the room. So picture a group of chairs in a circle, and the Bible is sitting on one chair, and then everybody else is sitting in a chair. And we sort of go around the room, and we say, well, what do you think about this passage? Or what do you think about this life issue? And everyone shares their opinion, and then we're sort of like, okay, Bible, what do you have to say about this? And we're all like, oh, thank you for sharing your opinion, but I disagree with that. What we believe about the Bible is that the Bible is the authority over us. It's not one voice around the circle in the room, but it is the voice that matters. And so our community is built around this common submission to the word of God. So the pertinent question of a connection group is, what does the Bible say? And the pertinent life application question for each of us is, am I submitted to what the Bible has to say in this passage in my life. Now, the awesome thing about the Bible is that the message of the Bible is not primarily uh, do this, don't do this. The primary message of the Bible is a message of grace. To summarize in one phrase, the Bible is about the finished work of Jesus for us. And so what we're submitted to is that Jesus loves sinful people. And so my encouragement to you, if you're a person who's sort of on the outside looking in saying, I don't think 
that I'm qualified to be part of a connection group. There is one qualification to be part of a connection group. You have to be a sinner. You have to be. You have to be a broken person. It's, it's almost like a negative qualification. You have to be messed up. You have to need the medicine of the word of God, and you have to submit yourself to grace and just say, yep, I'm part of this broken community, and I need the healing that Jesus has to offer. So this community is truly for every person here, no matter what your background is, no matter what your race is, no matter what your socioeconomic status is, no matter what you've done or haven't done in the past, the community of Jesus is for you because it's a community of grace. Hey, the second thing we see in the text is that this connected family is a generous community. Look at this beautiful picture of the early church, Acts chapter 2, verses 44 through 45. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Okay, so this is really important. Here's kind of the order of things in the early church. The people received the word of God, which was a word of grace. They believed in the finished work of Jesus. Then they were gathered together in community. They would meet in the temple. So in other words, in large group worship services like this. And then they would also meet house to house. And as their relational needs were met, first of all, vertically with God and then horizontally with one another, what happened was they overflowed in generosity toward one another. So if somebody had a need, someone else would monetarily and financially immediately meet that need. So they were even selling some of their possessions and they were giving away money to other people so that they were forming one cohesive family unit. Now, I think this shows us something really important about generosity and about the reason that we would devote ourselves to money instead of devoting ourselves to God. And what I mean by that is, I think that these people were freed up to give away their money because money was just money to them it was no longer a big piece of their identity and security. So think about the reason that all of us to some degree are chasing money. We're chasing money because money to us is a way to fit into a certain group of friends. Or money for us is a way to have a sense of felt security. But if you're saved by grace, here's what you believe. God is your father, and he meets all of your needs. So all of a sudden, by faith, in our incredibly rich and generous God, your security is taken care of. And then you're connected to other people in the deepest relationships that you've ever had in your life, but it's not based on your wealth or your socioeconomic status. It's based on sheer grace. And that means you no longer have to chase after money to fit in. So if money 
doesn't buy you friends and it doesn't buy you security, then all of a sudden you're free to give your money away. There was this guy in the Bible named Zacchaeus who found this out. So Zacchaeus, you guys know the story, he was a wee little man, you know, he climbed up in the sycamore tree and and looked off. But what you might not know is the most important thing about him from the story's perspective is not that he was short, but that he was rich. Zacchaeus was incredibly rich. And Zacchaeus had gotten rich through corruption. And the reason that he had gotten rich through corruption is because he desperately wanted to fit in. And he climbed up in a tree because he heard what Jesus, that Jesus was coming because he thought maybe Jesus could meet my needs in a way that money hasn't been able to. And so he's up in this tree, and this is what Jesus says to him. Keep in mind, Jesus is surrounded by people at this point. Zacchaeus, as far as he concern, is concerned, in Jesus' eyes, is a nobody. And Jesus looks up at Zacchaeus and he says, Zacchaeus. He knows his name. Come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. And the reason that's so beautiful is because in that day, to go into somebody's home was a much bigger deal than it is today. It was to identify with that person. And so for Jesus to go into his house was to say, this is my friend. I'm with him. And Zacchaeus was a hated person because he was so corrupt. And so what Zacchaeus received in that moment was unconditional love and grace and acceptance that he had not bought with money. And so what immediately happens is Zacchaeus gives away half of all that he has. And then an editorial comment is made by Luke and he said, salvation came to his house that day. See, here's what true salvation does. It connects you to God and to other people in grace-based relationships in such a way that money is just money in your life. It's no longer your security and your satisfaction, and therefore, you can just give it all away. You use your money to serve others rather than using others to get money. Okay, so a living church is a curious community. It's a generous community. Thirdly, we see that it's a joyful community. Look with me at Acts chapter 2, verses 46 through 47. It says, And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes... They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. Okay, the first thing I want you to notice is the balance here. Okay, young people, you have a tendency to go off the rails in one direction. And some of you just heard that previous point and you're like, see, people are selling their stuff and they're giving to the poor and this is the problem with the church is they're trying to build buildings and... My parents have a mortgage and they're probably in sin because of that because everyone should just be selling everything and moving overseas and giving everything to Jesus. And if you're not, you're in total sin. I was that guy when I was 21 years old too. All right, but here's what we see in this passage. The people sold their stuff, but notice 
they still have homes and they still have food to share, which means they didn't sell everything. They still had stuff left over. The difference was they saw the stuff not as their God, but as a stewardship, as a way to serve other people and to love them. In other words, they saw it as a joy to share what they had with the people around them. And so they did sort of an analysis, not just of how much can I give away so that I look righteous, but how much should I give away and how much should I keep so that I can most serve this community. And it's really helpful when you're trying to build community to have things like buildings and for individuals in our church to have things like homes so that people can gather in those places and we can share in joy with one another. And what they did in these homes is they sang songs, they praised God, they ate together, and the community was marked by joy. The basic observation I want to make for you guys is we're not doing religion here. I'm not saying, listen, I want to twist your arm. I want you to really commit. I want you to be a really serious religious person. I don't want you to just come into church once a week. I want you to come into church twice a week. And then after you come twice a week, I want you to come three times a week. And then if you're really serious, you're going to start coming four times a week. That's not what we're doing here. What we're saying is we want you to be part of community because this is what God made you for. And this is where you will find deep joy and satisfaction. I was remembering back to when I was part of my first connection group. It was when I was a freshman in high school. So I've been at this connection group thing. This is so crazy for me to think about for like 23 years of my life I've been meeting in weekly Bible studies I'm old you know when I look at you freshmen I'm like we're like the same age like same life stage but it's just far from true but I've been so I've been meeting in connection groups and you know what at that point in my life I not one time went to a small group Bible study out of a sense of duty I just absolutely loved it. I thought it was so much fun. And part of the reason that I loved it so much is because the relationships there were different. Yeah, we still joked around. Yeah, we still called each other names. Our, our Bible study leader had a cup in the middle of the room. And if you called somebody a name, this is just how bad we were. He had a cup. If you called somebody a name, you had to put a quarter in the cup. And so what I did is I just got a roll of quarters, and like the third weekend, I just prepaid. And then I was like, you're a jerk, you're an idiot, you know, I mean, but, but anyway, so we were still freshmen in high school guys, but there was some point in that room where we started confessing our sin to each other, where we started sharing real life to each other, when we started realizing that we were broken, that we were sinful, that we needed grace, and our relationship went from sort of the surface level to this deeper level. And I was hooked. And, and here's what I'm saying. Listen, 
I'm not saying that you come to connection group once and it'll completely change your life. You might even join a connection group that you don't like. But here's what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to consider jumping in and sticking with it and allowing people to love you in your brokenness and learning to love them in their brokenness and finding that that's where Jesus loves to be. Find the joy of worshiping our great God together. So here's what I'm, I'm asking for you older people in the room, you people who like me have been going to Connection Group for a long time. I'm asking you to remember. Maybe it was a college connection group. Maybe it was a high school connection group that you were first involved in. I'm asking you to kind of get some of your idealism back and to remember the joy of being in community with other believers. So we see that our family is a curious community, a generous community, a joyful community. And finally, we see that it is a missional community. Look with me at Acts chapter 2, the second half of verse 47. It says, And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who are being saved. Okay, so in the life of the church, different churches call connection groups, all sorts of different things. Let me give you a biblical reason for why we call our groups connection groups. It's that I fundamentally believe that if you seek to be missional first, that you will fail to be missional. But if you seek to be connected first, then you have a chance at being missional. Now notice this is at the end of a description of an early church group. And it's almost an aside. It's like the church was together. They devoted themselves to the word. They were sharing food. They were generous with each other. They were praising God, having favor with people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now why were people attracted to this group of people? Because the most attractive thing to people who do not yet know Jesus is to see a group of people who love one another. And I think we have an incredible opportunity in our society because people are isolated from each other. People are mad at each other. People have a tendency to divide over the smallest things. And as a Christian community... It's the same as it was 2,000 years ago. They will know us by our love. People are going to want to be a part of what's going on here as long as we are different than the world around us. Not by being more smug or self-righteous, but because we accept people by grace and not because they have all of their stuff together. Now, I think some of us have a tendency, when we start talking about mission, we're like, yes, we should be missional. Yes, we should be this way. Yes, we should be that way. And maybe some of our tendency is to start to be critical. Like one common thing that I hear about the church, for example, is, man, I wish this church was more welcoming. And I want to 
put forward the advice that I got from an older gentleman that I've known for a while. His name's Jack Arendt. It's um, one of my best friend, Mark Arendt's dad. He's been part of the church for a long time. And he said that for a while, he had a tendency to be critical of the church. And he would be like, man, this church is not marked by joy, or people here aren't very welcoming. And then he realized that it was the thing that he was criticizing that he was called to. So he has this little kind of quip that he says to himself if he starts to get critical in his own heart. So for example, if he starts to say, man, this church isn't marked by joy, then he'll immediately say to himself, Jack, you bring the joy. And my encouragement to you guys is whatever you feel like is lacking in our church community, use that as an opportunity to bring what's lacking, not to criticize what's lacking. So here's the the question that I want you to walk away with in your mind. If everyone in our community was like you, what would our community be like? I think that's the question that we have to ask ourselves. See, we can't look at the Bible and sort of stand outside of the church, which is a very popular thing to do today, and look at it and say, man, those people are messed up. We have to stand inside the church, and we have to say, listen, I'm part of the problem. I need the grace of Jesus, and I need to be transformed by him. And the second question is, what lack do you see in this church that you need to stop criticizing and start doing? Because it's when we start to submit ourselves to Jesus and live out what he's called us to be that we will be a church on mission. And I think mission is very simple. It's that we will be attractive to the world around us because of our love and they won't be able to stop asking what is different about you guys. Now listen to what Jesus prayed for us just before he left the earth. This is remarkable. He said, my prayer is not for them alone. Speaking of his disciples, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. So this is for us. He's praying for Salt City Church that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Here's what being connected as a family is all about. It's being an answer to Jesus' prayer that we would not be divided over secondary issues, but we would unite around the gospel of Jesus, that we would believe that we need grace more than anybody else, And because we need grace, we extend grace. And so we have a unity that the world looks at and says, I want in on that. They've got something that I need. And we would say, what I've got is not good works. What I've got is not my own righteousness. I've got one thing, and his name is Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, it is a a joy to celebrate what you've done in this church family. You have 
connected us so that we're not just individuals sitting in a room, but we are a family on mission together. And I'm asking that what you have done in the past would continue to multiply in the future. And I want to say once again that we submit to you. We come to you. And and we're not just looking back and, and, and saying, wow, Jesus, you have done some amazing things in Salt City, but but we want to submit in such a way and ask you to plant us in the ground again so that more and more people could meet you, Jesus. And pray that my life and our lives would be marked by love so that we would be an opportunity for people to come to Christ, not an obstacle to it. In Jesus' name, amen.